0: Hello and welcome to episode four of the Lost Teams podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Cerdelli. With me again today is my other co-host, Andrew Lennox. Andrew, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. How you doing?
0: Very good. Very good.
1: And it's nice and sunny out in yeah, it's November. Nice so. and sunny. Surf this done. morning. Yeah,
0: good <laughs> Good California weather. But uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about a, a couple of baseball teams, huh?
1: Yes, uh, keeping it all baseball this, this pod
0: yeah absolutely old school baseball too, so for sure. I'll start it off. I am talking today about the Baltimore Terrapins. You heard me right, not the Maryland Terrapins, the uh, college basketball mascot or college sports mascot, but the Baltimore Terrapins, a major league baseball team, one of the very few not called the Orioles in Baltimore. Uh, and they have a really interesting history they they some of the moves they made and the things they were involved in resonated big time. To today's major league baseball and other sports as well, so um, that's gonna I have be... a question
1: right off the bat actually yeah so why so the Maryland Terrapins, obviously the university, then you, is there a connection between them and this franchise? Yes,
0: yes. not a Name? direct not direct connection or Maryland rugby. or something <laughs> the Terrapin is the Maryland State reptile. Uh, oh, I've got it in okay. Which is weird to have, but I guess I'm a big reptile fan. (laughs) I
1: didn't know there were reptiles, state reptiles.
0: They're named after the Diamondback Terrapin, the state reptile of Maryland, and that's a turtle. For those of you who don't know, Terrapin is a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so uh, basically the, the Terrapins were the first professional baseball team from Maryland not to be named the Orioles. They were in the Federal League, so this is where it starts to get interesting for me. The Federal League was a competitor league started by wealthy businessmen uh, in the mid 1910s, and they wanted to compete, get a chunk out of the out of the Major League Baseball pie, because at that point, that was when baseball was getting huge, really developing into a major business. And the Federal <laughs> League, they decided, well, we're going to start our own Major League uh, uh, league, basically, because the other thing you have to realize back then is that. Um, Even though there was a governing body of professional, organized professional baseball, there wasn't one like there is today. There wasn't a commissioner. It was kind of a group group of people. So back then, the American and National League, even though they had some agreements with each other not to poach each other's players, and by then then, there was the World Series, but um, there was-
1: It'd be be interesting, sorry to interrupt, it'd be interesting to see how many leagues through the years, or sports, I should say, had leagues named the Federal League. Yeah, and There's a few
0: <laughs> Yeah, in other That's, sports. Yeah, for sure. The hockey, the lower tier professional hockey league comes to right. mind. <laughs> uh, the Federal League was formed. And like I was saying, back then the American and National Leagues were kind of competitors even they, though they agreed to not to poach each other's players and they'd play in the World Series to crown the ultimate champion of professional baseball. But the Federal League didn't honor those rules. Back then there was no free agency, but the Federal League basically told the players they would be able to become free agents. They offered them large contracts. Uh, so, the Federal League was considered this third major league. Um, and before I continue, I'll tell you about all of my sources because there were a lot. Uh, oh, okay. An article from historicbaseball.com, uh, and there was no author there, but it was about the Federal League. Very well done. Sure. An article from the Baltimore Sun in 1944 called Red Sox Arrive for Oriole Park and Drill. That was by the AP, Uh, Sports Encyclopedia by Frank Fleming. You might know Frank Fleming as Frank the Tank if you're a Barstool reader. Uh, He had an article on the the Baltimore Terrapins. The Maryland Manual Online Government website had an article about the history of baseball in Maryland. Um, And then a book called Babe, The Legend Comes to Life by Robert Kramer. Another book called The Big Bam, The Life and Times of Babe Ruth by Lee Mottville. So, there's a
1: Babe Ruth connection.
0: Yes, there is. <laughs> All right. Uh, a Baltimore Oriole Phenomenon, 90 years of history as seen by three trainers from the Bleacher Report. Uh, and then the third inning of the amazingly well done Ken Burns baseball documentary um, and an article in The Week by Jesse Wright Mendoza. So, a lot of sources. Did here. your
1: research. Re- yeah, research.
0: It was interesting. <laughs> <This is laughs> I have a lot of resources. This, it was an interesting yeah. subject. So, we'll get back to the. Uh, to the leagues. They were, they were competitor leagues. The federal league basically joined and uh, it created really, they were called the pirate league, uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis who was, comes into this later. He was the first commissioner of baseball later on, but he plays a big part in this story. He called them a pirate league. Uh, basically the federal league was like, well, we're professionals now. So deal with it. And we're not going to follow any of your rules. And, and the American league, which was new back then, and the national league, which is the, the original uh, they didn't take so kindly to that.
1: Did the federal league have the same rules as the other two leagues?
0: Yeah, it was same, same baseball rules in terms of the way the game was played, right. but the way the business side of things and recruiting players was not, they had no problem poaching big name players off of okay. American and national league teams, which they did successfully to the tune of 81 players over the short time they were around.
1: It's kind of like the WHA in the seventies uh, poaching NHL players.
0: Yep. Uh, so, the Terrapins as a team, so the the Federal League only lasted for a couple years, and, and we'll get a little more into that because the, the, the team and the league are pretty closely entwined in terms of their history. Okay. Uh, they were owned by former Baltimore Orioles manager, and this was one of the many iterations of the Baltimore Orioles uh this is the first one back in the 1890s ne- uh ned hamlin who had managed another former major league team called the orioles to three national league pennants this is of course before there was a world series so that was the, the highest championship yeah you could win that orioles team was contracted by the national league eventually then there by at the end after after hamlin was done they had john mcgraw who was a famous old baseball manager mcgraw was upset and decided to start, went to the American league, which is the newly formed league way back then and started another Orioles team in the American league. So John McGraw's Baltimore Orioles of the American league were eventually forced to move to New York and they became the New York Yankees. So sure, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So then there was a minor league Orioles team that came after that. They were around for a while, but when the Terrapins basically established themselves, they built their park across from that Orioles park, which came factors in pretty big later. Uh, But Hanlon, the owner of the Terrapins, had owned that minor league Orioles team for a while. I know this is very confusing. (laughs) Um, And that, like I said, that Orioles team was not the original. They weren't a major league team. They were a minor league team. They weren't uh, part of that original National League franchise or the American League franchise that became the Yankees. So,
1: a lot of these old school uh, franchises have very complicated histories.
0: Yeah, it's just <laughs> a mess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like I said, the Terrapins built a stadium across the street from Orioles Stadium. And Terrapin Stadium, I, I went back and looked at some pictures. was pretty cool. There were it looked like a mini Fenway Park. If you've ever seen old pictures of Fenway, way really old pictures, the fans are sitting in front of what became the Green Monster, and the the Green Monster had all these advertisements on them. So the fans were basically in front of that. And if you hit the ball into them, I think there were certain rules about whether it was a double play or a, a ground rule double. Um, so it's ridiculous, but yeah, yeah.
1: They, so, then, so they sat in front of the fence.
0: Yeah, so they sat in front of the fence, which is common back then. Oh, uh, and then it kind of goes into this deep center field, which looks just like Fenway, and then the bleachers and right. It really looked. Almost how many like people
1: a, got? I wonder how many people got just pelted by. Oh, I'm sure Well, there weren't
0: cell phones or, or anything back then, so they're probably yeah, paying so attention.
1: They were pretty focused. yeah. Uh, Makes sense.
0: Yeah, but it was really like a miniature, I don't know how many people it seated, but it was definitely looked like a miniature Fenway Park, which kind of is another thing we'll hear about at the very end, because okay. um, there was a reason, I think. Uh, so perhaps not surprisingly, after the Terrapins, like I said, disbanded, which we'll get to in a little bit, the Terrapin Park actually hosted the Red Sox on multiple occasions, Um which I'll talk about at the very, very end. So, this is the section from Sports Encyclopedia uh, by Frank Fleming. Um, the Terrapins were, were managed by Otto Nabe. So, that's another awesome name. Like K N A B E was his last name.
1: Nabe. Yeah, I've never heard Nabe. that last name. <laughs> they not, won their. Not too many people n- named Otto these days either.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> I can't think of any. Uh, <laughs> So, um, the Terrapins won their first game 3-2 over the Buffalo Buffeds. I don't know if it's Buffeds or Buffeds, but it's spelled B-U-F-F-E-D-S. So, uh, huh. I don't know if that's like a slang term for people from Buffalo. <laughs> it's
1: it's yeah. weird. Maybe they had to deal with old country buffets. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i
0: um, The Terrapins were competitive in their first season. They went 84-70, and 70, and they finished four and a half games behind the Indianapolis Hoosiers – Another oh. ripped right off of uh, actually a basketball movie.
1: That- my, uh, I have a connection in my team. The, 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 would you say Indiana Hoosiers or Indianapolis Hoosiers? Indianapolis Hoosiers. Okay. I talk, I mentioned them in mine as well. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, so this is their first, this is where their first really important impact came in baseball that, that, that changed the landscape of professional sports. You remember when I said they built Terrapin Park across from Oriole Park, where the minor okay. league yep. iteration played? So um, that Oriole team, just a few months before, had signed a young pitcher from St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys by the name of Babe Ruth.
1: Uh-huh. He was
0: already lighting it up with the Orioles, and they were one of the best teams in their league. But because the Terrapins were a new team, they were a major league team, no one really paid attention to the Orioles. So Right. Attendance was really bad. The Orioles owner explored a move to another city, but that fell through. Mm-hmm. So eventually he had to sell basically all his good players off to, to other teams to kind of make up his investment. So he eventually sold Babe Ruth to the Red Sox. Um, so that's how Babe Ruth became, started his professional baseball career, and, or major league baseball career, and became a member of the Boston Red Sox. Interesting. There were rumors that the Terrapins had offered Ruth a contract, but the team denied it, uh, apparently, according to the the Babe Ruth book, uh, one of the Babe Ruth books that I cited. From there, you know the rest of the story. He played for the Red Sox. He was a really good pitcher and hitter, and the Red Sox won multiple World Series with him and then sold him to the New York Yan- Yankees for almost nothing, and that <laughs> that started the Curse of the Bambino. So, sure. That that really began in Baltimore. Uh thanks partially to the Baltimore Terrapins. Right. So there's the first significant part of the Terrapins legacy, basically indirectly influencing a major event in sports, like the Blades did in our first episode where they indirectly caused or semi-directly caused the building of the Los Angeles Forum, which became a backdrop for the Lakers dynasty, while the Terrapins uh, caused Babe Ruth to move to the Red Sox and the Yankees, causing uh, basically dynasties for both those teams at different times. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and causing Yankee Stadium to become nicknamed the first one, the house that Ruth built. So uh, that was their first kind of influence. And even though the Terrapins were taking Orioles fans from the minor league Orioles, it wasn't enough to make them a financial success either. Oh. So in their second season, in an attempt to attract more fans, the Terrapins signed Philadelphia Athletic star and future baseball Hall of Famer, Chief Bender. Um, I've, heard,
1: I've heard that name somewhere.
0: He's a Minnesota, uh, It's probably a Minnesota connection. So the Athletics had just won the World Series and like teams still do today, were selling off their stars to get ready for a rebuild. Bender, or Charles Albert Chief was his nickname, Bender, was a Minnesota native and a member of the Ojibwe tribe. Oh, That's might be very interesting. Yeah. He had gone 17 and three the year that his last year with the athletics, the year that they won the world series again and had a 2.26 ERA and seven shutouts. So that'd be good. Yeah. But in 1915, he tanked, he compiled the record of four and 16 with a 3.99 ERA, which still not bad. I mean, I would have taken that in my college career if I could have, uh, but that that was a long time ago, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> uh, the Orioles went 43 and 109, so terrible in their second season and finished almost 60 games out of first place. So never really competitive. Uh, that would be the last season the Terrapins played, but not their last impact on professional sports. And this is going to be, uh, I find it interesting. <laughs> it's going to get a little more complicated in terms of law stuff, but uh, here's here it goes. So because the Terrapins were a Federal League team and were able to lure star players away, and, and other Federal League teams were able to lure star players away from the American League and the National League, those leagues took notice. So between 1914 and 1915, Uh, things kind of went downhill between the three leagues and the federal league sued the national and American leagues. The case, the judge that was overseeing the case, his name was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who, if you've seen the baseball documentary or or know a little bit about baseball history, he was the first, he became after this, the first commissioner of major league baseball. Oh, okay. Um, But at the time he was a judge and basically he, he clearly was biased. He already loved baseball. Right. He kept urging all the, the both sides to negotiate instead of making a ruling. And I don't know. I, I never found out if it was intentional or if it was or if it was uh, an accidental effect of it. But it just kept up piling the costs and 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 costing more and more. The federal league couldn't afford it. It put them in such a big financial hole that the owner of the Federal League and a few other team owners agreed to let the American and National League teams buy them out and buy their players out. So um, that really put into motion the next thing. So the only, one of the only teams that wasn't offered a buyout from the American National League were the Baltimore Terrapins. They huh. they then sued the American League, the National League, and some Federal League members and others, alleging that they broke, so the, Sher- they broke the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is everyone basically- suing
1: at each other. It yeah, like. wow. so it
0: seems like today. So that lawsuit was called Federal League Club Baltimore Terrapins versus the National League, oh. and suing so they- the whole league. Yeah, and and a basically, so all those different yeah. parties. And the Sherman Antitrust Act was basically a an act that Congress put into place way back when to keep businesses from kind of coming together, multiple businesses and dominating a market, setting prices, really influencing and and stopping free trade uh, and dominating a market. Anybody who's listening, who's a big, knows a lot about the law or about politics, I'm probably butchering this, but I'm going to do as best as I can. <laughs> uh, so basically they, they are arguing that, that, the National League and and organized baseball was a monopoly. So uh, they basically argued that what the leagues were doing, they were controlling the players, the players' salary, the ticket prices, so that other baseball leagues couldn't be competitive. And that the American and National League conspired with the Federal League officials after they lost that first lawsuit to basically buy them out and force the competition away. Uh, I see.
1: Okay. I mean, the monopoly thing makes sense.
0: Yeah. So the Terrapins won that case, uh, but the appeals court reversed the decision and that went all the way up to the Supreme court where the Jeez, Supreme, wow. yeah. So the Supreme, and this is where the influence comes. So the Supreme court agreed with the American and decided with the American and national league and, and the, the, the people who were being sued the defendants and the appeals court, basically saying that, um, professional baseball was not interstate commerce. So even though the teams traveled between States to play each other, the act of playing a baseball game could be done in one place. And the, the moving from state to state was kind of a side thing that wasn't necessary, but they chose to do it right So because it wasn't a mass, Yeah. So because it was, wasn't considered interstate commerce, it couldn't fall under federal laws. Uh, so like if you're a fan of crime shows or crime podcasts and they talk about, someone getting kidnapped and then crossing state lines. And then the FBI comes in because the crossing of state lines makes it a federal jurisdiction. Uh So it's the same with this because baseball (laughs) wasn't technically, wasn't part of interest rate commerce. The federal laws enacted by Congress didn't apply. So major league baseball was exempt from antitrust, uh, the Sherman antitrust act. Um, and so I'm basically going to just, so this, this quote comes from the, uh, from baseball reference i believe okay. uh, although the supreme court subsequently refused to apply the federal baseball logic to other professional sports leagues it also refused to overturn the federal baseball ruling in toulson versus the new york yankees which was in 1952 the court decided to let the existing ruling stand because baseball had built its business under the impression that it was not covered by antitrust law and suddenly applying it would be unfair it also argued rather illogically that Congress had not seen fit to apply antitrust law to baseball, even though the original exemption was created by the court rather than Congress. In Flood versus Kuhn 1972, the court continued to uphold the precedent though it was described as anomalous and suggested that Congress should change the laws to apply to baseball. It took another quarter century after the flood ruling for Congress to remove any part of baseball's special status, the Curt Flood Act of 1998. So this is, Eighty years later, eighty-four years later, yeah. uh, applied antitrust law to baseball, but only in labor matters. Uh, the Flood Act thus entrenched the remainder of baseball's exemption from the antitrust law. So basically, those two cases, uh, even though the, the courts overturned parts of that original decision, uh, the fact that baseball is mostly um, exempt from antitrust law still exists. That's
1: and, interesting.
0: Wow. Yeah. And because baseball is ex- – so and other leagues like the NHL, NHL, NFL, and NBA aren't exempt in this way from antitrust laws. So that's why before – so that's why there's never been really since the 50s a competition league like there has been in, in hockey and basketball and, and football like the WHA, the ABA, and the USFL. So
1: The XFL.
0: <laughs> and the XFL, yeah. Like I think the last – even though the Federal League was the last – competition league to play i think there was one considered in like the 50s but they never played a game Um, so these other leagues have had to deal in some way with competition at least for brief periods uh they also can decide more unilaterally where teams move or can't move so like the only team that's moved in our lifetime and before has been the expos from montreal to yeah you're
1: right you're right on that yeah teams never move
0: yeah and there are
1: plenty of teams that should move
0: yeah it's it's and and versus nhl where there's the the thrashers have moved and the nfl where what chargers raiders and rams have all moved in the last five years it's seattle
1: uh, seattle and the nba i mean that's yep yep probably 10 years ago
0: yeah seattle to oklahoma oklahoma i think was like 05 or 06 sure um And it also, and this is where it really is harmful, I think, uh, it screws over minor league players. They're not classified as full-time employees. I don't really understand the nuts and bolts of this, but because of antitrust laws, uh, partially, I think Major League Baseball doesn't have to pay their minor league players minimum wage. They classify them kind of as interns or like seasonal employees. And so they really get, yeah, they really get screwed um do you, you think that'll
1: i wonder if at some point i'm surprised um like minor league baseball hasn't had some type of lawsuit against the oh. mlb well that's has it, it has it happened
0: well no minor league baseball is the mlb so major league baseball oh, teams own the minor league teams and they their excuse basically is that um well these are our employees and and they're they're cutting they can't afford to play my they they claim they can't afford to pay minor league players like, <laughs> yeah, more, right. but if you can Google like minor league not getting fair wages, it's the some of the stories are ridiculous. There are like seven or eight players renting like a two bedroom apartment. They're like sharing cars. They eat garbage. Uh, so like AAA afford-
1: players don't even make decent yeah. money.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I you know like what, guys I, that aren't up and down. All right, so this came from an article in The Athletic by Levy Weaver. The average salary for a minor league baseball player whose contract is handled by Major League Baseball ranged from around $6,000 in single A to around $9,350 in double A to nearly $15,000 in triple A in 2018. The poverty line in 2019 was $12,490. So everyone except for a full-time well-paid A player is uh, who doesn't see a lot of major or any major league time is, is making money below the poverty line. That's terrible. Um, so I'm yeah,
1: that hasn't been a bigger story.
0: Yeah. Ever. It's been, it's flown under the radar. And, and with the cancellation of minor league baseball season this year, it's been, I think it got some spotlight, but there's definitely more mm-hmm. that needs to be done because of the Baltimore Terrapins lawsuit versus the federal league and the way it was decided. That's one of the reasons why minor league players are paid so poorly even today. Mm. And this is just the last little bit uh it's helped um it's helped the minor it's helped major league baseball stay wildly profitable in a time when their fans are kind of getting older and and the sport is to be honest getting less popular cuz it's so boring and they're so set in their ways that they refuse to change right uh, but part of that the reason they're still making a ton of money is because of this uh the the lawsuit that the terrapins brought and lost um oh. And last but I
1: have no idea about any of this
0: <laughs> yeah, and last but not least, uh I mentioned the Red Sox playing uh at Terrapin Park, so Terrapin Park became Oriole Park Five or Oriole park v uh not v in Roman numeral five because uh it was uh it, the, that it just got taken over by another professional team that called themselves the Orioles so okay uh, and that's where the Red Sox played an exhibition game in nineteen nineteen with Babe Ruth. Uh, so kind of rubbing the dirt in a little bit <laughs> into right. the injury, uh, but that was long after that. So after the Terrapins and, and lost their lawsuit and the federal league disbanded, that was five, four years later. So, um, it wasn't like they were still around. And then in 1944, the Red Sox had their spring training at terrapin the place formerly known as terrapin park due to world war ii travel restrictions so that resemblance to fenway park i think really did might have attracted them to come back there multiple times okay and and that's the story of the baltimore terrapins
1: yeah i definitely picked up a lot of useless knowledge i can use (laughs) to impress friends at the bar
0: useless knowledge i can use (laughs) i love that if we can
1: ever go to the, the bar again
0: Yes. I'm confident that we'll be able to sometime soon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want to, uh, you want to tell us about uh, your team?
1: Sure. Let me get right into it here. So I actually got all my information from baseball-reference.com. And then also a book that was written by Rex Hammond, the Minneapolis Millers and the St. Paul Saints. We're going to keep this uh, podcast, uh, as I said earlier, on baseball and the the team i actually going to focus on is uh the franchise was named the minneapolis millers um they were a minor league baseball franchise that were based in obviously minneapolis minnesota they began play in 19, or, i'm sorry 1884 in the northwestern league oh so they're old very old um and they were actually around for a very long time too so i'll get into that later They actually joined the Western League. They were in this league, the Western League, from 1894 to 1900. The the Western League was had some unique franchise names that included the Indianapolis Hoosiers, as we talked about earlier, Uh, the Milwaukee Milwaukee's. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If that's right, (laughs) that's pretty ridiculous. No originality there. The Cleveland Forest Cities. Um, don't know if Cleveland's nicknamed the Forest City. I have no idea. Uh, the Denver Mountain Lions. There we go. The Leadville B- Blues. And the Leavenworth Soldiers. And those were just a few of the teams in the league. There was uh, probably about 10 or 12 teams in the league. Anyways, I have no idea where Leadville – I think Leavenworth is probably in Kansas – I, I think. think
0: Leadville might be in Colorado. If it's a, if it's the same city, there's a there's that, a isn't there a really Leadville like way high up in the mountains where they have that ultra marathon?
1: There is a Leadville in Colorado, and yes, that's correct. But I, why would they have a team there? Not I don't even think many people live there.
0: Well, it's the eighteen hundreds. True. <laughs> there might have been ten people living there that don't live there. It <laughs> may have
1: been a booming metropolis then. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Uh, despite okay, so so yeah, there was some pretty unique names in that league uh, for teams. Um, so uh, despite losing to, the, the, they had an in-state rival, the the Saint Paul Saints, by a score of forty-one to eight cool. in eighteen ninety-six. The team won their first Western League pennant in eighteen ninety-six as well. So they got just absolutely their butts kicked, but were able to. Uh, regroup after that game
0: 41 to eight sounds like a game where they ran out of pitchers and had to throw like their second baseman on the mound for, and just, it just never ended. That's like some guy, some
1: drunk in the crowd, maybe I have no idea. (laughs) Anyways. uh, So the, 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 as I said, they won their first Western uh, league pennant in 1896. Soon after the Western league actually became the American league in 1900 in that league, the Millers uh, finished dead last that season. Uh, the team's top two players during those years was pitcher Billy Hutchinson, or I'm sorry, Bill Hutchinson. They were led by, offensively by uh, Perry Worden, who actually sounds like he was an excellent player. Um, as I said, the team finished dead last, but Worden led the league in doubles, slugging percentage, and home runs. Oh, wow. Yeah, he didn't have any support whatsoever from the rest of the team, from what I read. I don't actually, I don't know what happened, but um, there was, I guess, I don't know if there was a Western League still, but like another Western League because the, the Millers moved back into the Western League in 1901. Once again, uh, so in, in nine, 1902, the Millers joined another league. <laughs> they keep switching leagues here. Um, then The league was called the American association. Um, The league included teams from Kansas city, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, St. Paul, Columbus, Louisville, and Toledo. And they've actually stayed in that league after bouncing around, you know, for a few years, they stayed in that league through 1960.
0: So I wonder if the American, when they were in the American league, were they technically a major league team, or were they still? Was that was the American League a minor league?
1: As far as I know, they were always um, uh, a minor league team.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So, um, getting back into it here, yeah. So that the, they played in that league for many years until 1960s, um, and they actually. Tore up this league, Um, the American Association winning nine pennants and never finishing last. They, you know, and they had a pretty decent falling in the Twin Cities. Uh, They played in a Nicolette Park, a 4,000 seat stadium, which um, they eventually added more seats, making it an 8,500 seats uh, ballpark. So they had a decent falling. A a second team, the Minneapolis Broncos, who were a farm team of the Millers, also played there. Oh, nice. In 1961, Major League Baseball's Washington Senators actually moved to Minnesota to become, you know, the team we know now, the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Millers and uh, the neighboring team, the St. Paul Saints, actually ceased operations with the news of the Twins moving to the Twin Cities. I I don't think it would have been possible for the three teams. I mean, the Twin Cities is a yeah, decent-sized city, but I, I don't see three baseball te- professional baseball teams mm-hmm. being able to survive, especially during those times. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as I said, the, these, the Saints and the Millers ceased operations. Um, so the, actually both the Saints and the Millers had a huge rivalry, and um, they had a tradition of playing holiday doubleheaders. One would be at one stadium, and then later in the day they'd <laughs> go across the river and play at their the other team's stadium. So that's pretty kind of cool. A,
0: yeah, it's like a cool old tradition. You would you would wonder if they could ever do. I mean, if they could ever do that in New York or something, or like uh, you could do it in the Bay Area. <clears throat> yeah, you could do Can it in the Bay. Area. You could do it. Well, it would be hard. I would. I think New York would probably be the easiest place because it's like it's they're relatively close like here the dodgers and angels tried to play it would be like good luck getting through traffic you have to play at
1: (laughs) eight in the morning and like seven at night they'd have to take choppers there yeah anyways um so back to the millers uh this team what was special about this franchise is that they had some legends major league baseball legends that actually you know played for this franchise at one time um that it it included, it included, this list includes legends like Ted Williams. Oh, yeah. Willie Mays, Carl wow. Yastrzemski, huh. and Orlando Sepeta, Yep. And knuckleballer Hoyt Wilhelm. And That's actually, incredible. many others. And some of you might know who Felipe Alou is. He, yep. he played for the Millers as well, obviously, he was a great manager for the Montreal Expos. They also had a player, a young player named Mo Berg, who actually Anthony knows a ton about, and he's going to give you some information on him. Very interesting and yeah. unique individual.
0: Yeah. Well, I I don't, I, just because I've seen the movie and, and read a little bit, Mo Berg was, is a very interesting story. So he was a, he was a young baseball player. I think he started off as a third baseman and then moved to catcher, but, uh, and he, he had some success, but after his career, uh, he became a spy. He, during World War II, he was a, a, a spy, I think, for the OSS, which was like the, the precursor to the CIA, basically. Um, oh. And one of his missions was to figure out, he was, he was I think he graduated from Princeton. He was an Ivy League graduate, very smart guy. Right. So one of his assignments was to figure out if the Nazis were close to assembling an atomic bomb. This is during the like the nuclear arms r- or the the first nu- the race to ha- get a nuke to end World War Two. No kidding. And so, uh, and and a lot of this you can see in the movie. The catcher was a spy. It's a really cool Paul Rudd movie. Uh, oh. I like it a lot. I hadn't, I hadn't even heard of it, and then I saw it on uh, uh, on like stars or something like that. Is it an older like, movie. I don't within the last ten years. It's pretty new, but it's okay. it, it tells his story. And and the most interesting thing he was trying to basically find and question uh, Heisenberg, the scientist, the German scientist who, the, uh, the, I almost said physician, uh, the rocket scientist for, uh, for the German rocket scientist who was responsible for trying to, um, I think create an atomic bomb for Germany. And when he questioned, he was either supposed to assassinate Heisenberg or question him. And he questioned him and and figured out basically in that one, meeting that germany was not close to making an atomic bomb even though they were trying so he left he let heisenberg live which is like crazy it's an intense scene in the movie but it's a, it's just also a very interesting part of history
1: i'm gonna have to watch that and uh, there you go more more useless knowledge <laughs> <laughs> no it's very interesting i had no idea about this guy so yeah i'm gonna check out that movie
0: yeah, strongly suggested, but uh, I think and he played for the Millers. <laughs> yeah, he played for the Millers for one season. It sounded like, uh, from what I read on uh, Wikipedia, that he was a little bit of a diva. He didn't want to play minor league baseball. He had already been in the majors or something. He didn't want to play minor league baseball, and then he did for a little bit. And I guess he moved to. That's when he moved to catcher.
1: Ivy League grad. it could seem, him as a little bit of a diva. <laughs> like I said, as I mentioned a bit earlier, there was obviously a heated rivalry with this. The Saint Paul Saints and the Millers, and that lasted from nineteen oh three to nineteen fifty-five. So many years of having a crosstown rivalry basically. Um, competing well for fans too. Yeah. Think I mean that's a it.
0: healthy baseball community, if you think about it. Like right. Especially in the sixties when baseball was so popular. Like I mean, I know they were around for a lot longer, but that that whole era from like the early nineteen hundreds to the sixties, baseball was way more
1: popular than it is now. Yeah, Minnesota, baseball's pretty popular in Minnesota, um, despite, you know, the weather sometimes. But, yeah, there's been a lot of good major leaguers like Dave Winfield, Joe Maurer, Paul Molitor, Jack Morris, um, that have come out of the Twin Cities.
0: Joe Mauer was a hometown – he was homegrown? I never knew that.
1: Yeah, he's from, uh, like, St. Paul.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yep, Dave Winfield, I mean.
0: Yeah. Wow, Joe Mauer is 37 years old. That is that is uh oh he retired Oh, he retired last two falls Yeah, ago. he just retired. Yeah. Wow, that time went fast. I remember when he was like a young when he was a rookie.
1: Yeah, he was an amazing catcher but his knees they had to move him over to first base. Yeah, what a career. Yeah, excellent career. Yeah. So, as I said, the Millers um, were at ceased operations after news that the uh, Minnesota Twins were moving from Washington, D.C. So, But the history continues, actually, but not for a long time after. Um, In 1994, actually, the Millers' name was used by a new professional team that played in the great Central League, and they only existed one year. That's sad. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a pretty cool name too. It's unique. I have no idea why they were called that. Well, is it uh, a it's
0: Miller? A- it's a Miller's like, um, it's like a trade. It's uh,
1: like a paper mill.
0: A Miller <laughs> is, what does a Miller do? Let's see. A Miller is a person who operates a mill, a machine to grind a grain to make flour. So got it. Well, we'll see if we keep that part in.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the Millers actually were a AAA affiliate on two separate occasions for the Boston Red Sox.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense for the Williams and Yastrzemski connection. Yeah, right. And they were also a AAA affiliate for the New York Giants. Oh, the New York Baseball Giants.
1: Right, right. So this I believe been- you talked about them in another podcast. Yeah, another when they episode. were talking
0: about how unoriginal the two – groups were between baseball and football where the the football teams would just name their the same
1: name as the baseball teams right and then going back to a question you asked earlier if the millers were ever considered um i basically i think like a major league baseball team no they were not they were a triple a team a double a team and a single a team in their existence got it i actually have a side note yeah. Um it does has nothing to do well it does have something to do with the millers The rivalry the uh, st Saint paul saints actually exist again they actually play in a beautiful downtown park in uh, downtown st paul so and they get big crowds yeah absolutely that is
0: interesting it's it's cool and we've talked about this before the legacy that old teams leave even even if it's as sometimes they'll have huge impacts on modern professional sports like we've talked about, but even as little as just like being the first team to be named that name and then having a team 30 years later come and name themselves after the old team. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. I think that's going to do it for episode four. Anything you're working on Andrew or you want to tell them where they can find you on social media?
1: Yeah, actually my Twitter handle is uh, at A-W-L-E-N-N.
0: Awesome. You can find me at Delhi tweets. That's at D E L L I T W E E T S. And feel free to uh, send us any questions, suggestions that you have, like I said, for teams that you want us to cover on this podcast. And please, 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 if you do like us, uh, rate us five stars on your whatever podcast app you listen to, whether it's Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, leave us a review or tell us you hate us. Just tell us to go kick rocks and you never want to listen to us again. That works too.
1: <laughs> that works.
0: All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you guys later.